And welcome to the KI Prime podcast with me, Alina Jenkins. In this episode, we're going to hear from Dr. Rashmi Kasurka. Born and raised in India, where she qualified as a doctor of physiology, she moved to the Netherlands in 2008 to pursue her PhD in medical education. Rashmi has been instrumental in setting up the Department of Research in Education at VUMC School of Medical Sciences in Amsterdam and headed this department until 2020. She currently works as a research programme leader at Research in Education at Amsterdam UMC. Her core expertise is motivation in education, which was also the focus of her PhD thesis. Her vision for education is to develop students for life, and she told me more about this vision when we spoke in the summer of 2020. So my research started with my PhD, but actually the idea for this research started when I was teaching. I used to teach or give lectures on physiology and I had this batch of medical students and there were 10 students who used to sit on the back benches. And they would, after my lecture, they would come to me and ask me very difficult questions. They were all taller than me. So I would, they would be surrounding me and asking me difficult questions. And I loved the interactions because they asked such deep questions that I didn't always have the answers, but I, uh, yeah, I, I would say I would look it up or I had to think about it. So it was a very inspiring interaction for me. And I thought these students are going to do brilliantly in their exams or I mean, as a doctor. And when I saw it by the end of the year, I saw that these 10 students who I thought were brilliant, they actually performed very differently. So there were some people who performed to the level that I expected them to. And there were others who were like completely off. Some people lost their motivation along the way. And so lots of things happened among these 10 students who I thought were brilliant. And that raised a big question for me because I thought if they are brilliant, if they like medicine, why don't I see them performing in the same way, you know? And that stayed with me until I actually started doing my PhD in the Netherlands. And uh, I had the option of choosing my topic. So I thought this is the question that has been intriguing me for so many years. And that's what I would like to answer through my PhD research. So I took up motivation in medical students as my thesis topic. So I had two universities, Utrecht and Cry University medical students. And I looked at what kind of profiles do, do they have on motivation. And uh, initially it started with like the quantity of motivation, how high or low kind of motivation a student has and how is it related to their performance. And then I realized that this concept really didn't explain anything to me. So I came in contact with self-determination theory of motivation. It's a macro theory of human motivation and you can apply it across contexts. It's not just education. It can be sports, relationships, etc. And what they say is that you have something called autonomous motivation, which originates because you like something, you, you do something because you like it. Or you do something because you find it important. And that is the quality of motivation, which is a desirable quality of motivation. Whereas there is other where you can do it out of internal, your own pressure or external pressure, or you could do it for rewards, or you could do it to avoid punishments. And that is called controlled motivation. And this concept was like a huge eye opener for me. And then I could place those 10 students and others, all the students, all the teaching that I have done and all the students that I have come in contact with, I could place them along this continuum of motivation. 
So it was not the quantity which drove how students learned and how they performed, but the quality of their motivation. And that's what really inspired me about this theory. And then I not only use this theory in my work, but I also use it in practice. So I live my uh, life by self-determination theory, I should say. I really believe in it. It helps me explain everything around me, uh, whether it is my own motivation or it is about others. So after I finished my PhD, my uh, one of my supervisors, she invited me to start a research group and research in education at in Amsterdam at Fry University. So that's how my the next step of my journey happened. And then I came to Amsterdam and uh, I built a research program using this concept. And now I have, what do you say, I have developed it into a concept which I call developing students for life. So everything that we do in medical education should be towards developing students for life. And when I say students for life, I mean students who are intrinsically or autonomously motivated. They really like what they do. They constantly exchange uh, practice and uh, learning. So they are education and practice are constantly interacting with each other. They interact with their environment all the time and they are interested in investing in lifelong learning or continuing professional development. So this is what I have defined as a concept, developing students for life. And my whole research program is based on this concept. Now, in that, I have four different research lines. And one of the lines, for example, is uh, motivation and learning in whole of health professions education, in which I have looked at what kind of motivation drives performance. I have looked at what kind of curricula, medical curricula, do do they take into account motivation or not? I have looked at the motivation and performance context, not only in medical education, that is medical students, but also other health professions like nursing, like pharmacists. And I have also looked at the whole continuum of medical education, not just undergraduate students, but postgraduate students, specialists, practicing practicing doctors and uh, students who are interested in applying for medicine. So also at the entry. So this is the whole continuum that I have researched through. It's not just me. We have a whole group. And through all my PhD students, my postdocs, assistant professors, we really try to investigate this and we have developed this research program. You spoke about those students who were keen and they really wanted to learn. Are there certain personality types who will naturally be autonomously motivated? And perhaps how do you mould students? How do you change a mindset to go from controlled motivation to autonomous motivation? Yes, I think that's a very good question. And I don't think it is to do with mindset. So there are different theories of motivation. And self-determination theory talks about autonomous and controlled motivation. And you can move students from control to autonomous through good teaching practices or good educational practices, and you can do the other way around. If students enter with great autonomous motivation with the wrong educational practices, you can move them towards the continuum or towards the control aspect of the continuum. And for this, to to enhance their autonomous motivation, there are three basic psychological needs that every teacher, every educator, every supervisor, every educational management person, etc., they need to Make sure that these uh, three needs are fulfilled and they are the need for autonomy. Autonomy is the feeling of I do something because I choose to do it. Uh, The feeling of competence and competence is I feel I'm capable of doing this. And the third is relatedness. That means being able to identify with what you're doing and people around you and feeling part of a group or a sense of belongingness. 
so these are the three needs if you are able to satisfy students needs of autonomy competence and belongingness or sorry relatedness then you are able to move them along the continuum from con control to autonomous motivation so what you said initially that uh, there are some people who will always be autonomously motivated it is not like that so there are three hierarchical levels in motivation there is something called a global motivation uh, level and that is global motivation means something that you are born with something that you have developed when in your childhood it's a very stable kind of motivation then you have on top the contextual motivation and contextual motivation means if i want to become a doctor what is my motivation for becoming a doctor what type what quality of motivation it is and that is related to the context so it is more dynamic than global motivation but it doesn't change very quickly like not day to day but it can change and this is the one that i was talking about with good or bad educational practices you can move people along the continuum so there is global motivation there is contextual motivation and there is uh, situational motivation so situational motivation is like i might be very very interested in pursuing medicine that is my contextual motivation is autonomous type but tomorrow i have an exam so today at this point in time at, for this particular activity like if i have a uh, i'm attending a lecture right now i can't pay attention because my mind is uh, towards my assessment so then what happens is this situation motivation is something that changes day to day hour to hour and that is something that is get affected very easily and they have reciprocal eff effects on each other like if you have in your situation motivation all the time if you are learning for assessments then it can influence your contextual motivation so it can change your contextual motivation for becoming a doctor so the global motivation is pretty stable but these two really interact with each other and they can that is where Uh, educationalists have a chance to play a role in molding students how might you go about implementing this into a structure system for medical education so i think for me first of all the guiding principle while structuring a curriculum would be to make sure that you pay attention to enhancing students autonomous motivation and if you want to do that then in every aspect that you design in the curriculum you make sure that the three needs of autonomy competence and relatedness they are satisfied so if we look at any particular curricular change reform then you should make sure that students have choices in what they are doing uh, students feel competent so it should not be something that is too much of a challenge for their competence but it should also not be too easy so everyone so that there comes the bit of you know personalized learning experience like everyone needs to get the right bit of challenge but they should also feel competent in what they are doing and giving feedback is very essential for competence and the third is relatedness and this comes through really building safe uh, psychological spaces where students can express themselves and they can really bring out the best in themselves so i think if you in any curricular reform or intervention educational in, uh, uh, intervention or innovation if you can pay attention to these three aspects then i think it really works rashmi what are your plans moving forward how do you see your research developing in the years ahead so over the last 2 3 years i think i've been working on how i'm going to expand my program what does it stand for where do we want to go in the future etc and uh, currently what i have done is that under the developing students for life which is the umbrella for our research uh, we have four different research lines so one of them is on diversity and access so you will realize that when i talk about motivation it is not only 
for in a certain curricular environment, in a certain educational environment and how students perform. But we are also looking at when you talk about students from different educational backgrounds, what happens to their uh, needs for autonomy, competence and relatedness in a medical curriculum or in healthcare? When they visit the wards, how do they feel? So we have looked at it through the diversity lens and how people feel that they have access or they don't have access to the right things, to a network. Do they feel part of the group, their feeling of relatedness? What happens to students who come from underrepresented groups? So that is one of the things that we have. That's a very strong uh, research line that we have, which has come from lots of external funding. The other thing is uh, we look into professional identity and professionalism issues, and we are now trying, uh, starting to look at it through the lens of motivation as well. So when a student uh, decides to take an action against an unprofessional behavior that he or she saw, what motives or what kind of motivation governs what is going to be the final way in which the student responds or does not respond? And, and I think the development of motivation along this course of your medical curriculum and practice, that and professional identity development are so intertwined with each other. It's a very fascinating thing to look at. And we are currently trying to do that. Let's say, what is the journey of motivational development? And what is the journey of professional identity development? And where do they intersect? And what? how can we do something about it? Another research line is on participation and reflection. So one of my assistant professors, she has worked a lot on how reflection, when you ask people to do reflection exercises in medicine, how, uh, because you are going to assess it, it soon starts to become something like people start to fake. They start to give you answers that uh, you want to hear. And a true reflection does not happen. They start doing it very superficially. And how can we work on that? So this is all fitting into the developing students for life because you want someone, doctors, to be constantly looking at what they are doing and reflecting on what they are doing. We are also looking at participation. So let's say if you have small group education, how do students participate in it? And if they participate in it, is is verbal participation the most important thing? Because that is graded as professional. Whereas some of the participation, like if someone is just sitting back and listening and taking everything in, the person can be very engaged, but... The teacher doesn't see it and the teacher grades it at, as unprofessional. And this, again, intersects with my diversity and access line because as a, someone from a collectivistic culture, I have been groomed to listen and talk when I have an important point to make. And the, the uh, Dutch culture is much more assertive kind of culture. So when students from collectivistic and individualistic cultures are sitting together in a group, the assertive students in the Netherlands tend to get graded as professional and others who are doing it out of respect, who are interacting in a certain way out of respect, they are judged as unprofessional. This is a really fascinating world for me, like how these things interact, the different research lines that we have, how they interact with each other. So it's very nice to have this umbrella and then look at these different lines. And my biggest research line is, of course, on uh, motivation and learning. Uh, across the whole uh, health professions education continuum. And there we have looked at medical specialists. We have looked at students. We have looked at pharmacists. We have looked at pharmacy residents. uh, We have looked at midwives. So there are many different groups that we have looked at. And currently there is one line which I am trying to develop, and that is about assessments. And that I find really fascinating. Now, my in medical education, uh, we are always talking about how assessment drives learning. And according to me, assessments drive controlled motivation. 
because students then study for the assessments and not for learning a topic itself so i think that when you have high stake assessments something that is going to lead to whether they are going to pass the year or not or whether they are going to get their degree or not or anything that they perceive as high stakes sometimes the the assessment might be set out as a low stakes assessment for feedback but if the student doesn't perceive it that way then you have lost the cause so what in in my opinion assessments drive learning but what kind of learning is it the deep learning for meaning that you want or is it surface learning in which you just are able to give the exam and then you forget everything and there is a third approach which is called a strategic approach so students study for the exam so there will be students who know more who have more skills but there will be students who really can regurgitate the knowledge who will do the best in their exams and this really is not what we want to do in health professions education so my assertion or my proposal is assessment drives learning but what kind of learning and it does hamper autonomous motivation and that's the big hypothesis on which i'm working right now how can we make sure so there are two different points of view one is self determination theory based point of view which says that if you have too many high stakes assessments or if you have assessments which students perceive as high stakes then it is going to drive controlled motivation and controlled motivation is very clearly associated with surface learning with burnout with uh, low well being etc now on the other hand you have a quality assurance system so when you a degree is awarded to a student there is a certain quality that you have to assure to the public and these are two opposing points of view so which means from the quality assurance point of view it is very important to have high stakes assessments from the self determination theory and motivation point of view it is not ideal to have high stakes assessments so how can we and where can we find the midpoint where you can enhance autonomous motivation in along with assuring quality of the degree and this for me is a very big conceptual question and even more difficult to implement and that's what i'm working on right now speaking with you rashmi it's very clear how passionate you are about your research and i know that mentoring and being a role model is very important to you can you tell me why this is so close to your heart i see my role in the ki prime fellowship as a candidate who has uh, moved internationally and still managed to build a career also i am an uh, ethnic minority woman in uh, the netherlands so i think those are important parts of my researcher profile which i think are important because from all the research that we have done in diversity we see that there is a lack of role models and so people from ethnic minority backgrounds do not imagine themselves to be in a position where they have these successful careers so i think for me it is very important that i make sure that i carry this with me so that i can inspire more people more ethnic minority women and men both to become successful in their careers and the other thing that is important for me as a researcher is that i come from india i used to do physiology research in india but i did not have any uh, great resources research resources and one of the things that i lacked the most was the guidance for scientific writing because of that i was not able to publish when i was in india when i moved here i didn't need much it was just the structuring of writing and i was able to write my first paper within the first year i had published my first paper but that is something that i think is really lacking in resource constrained countries and 
I think the scientific uh, guidance is definitely lacking. So I try to uh, mentor uh, people from India, from China, from Indonesia to be able to write. And that is something that is very important to me. And one more issue is that when you do any educational innovation in India, you have to realize when the journals, when the Western journals really look at articles from these countries, they don't realize that how hard it is to get even a small educational innovation implemented. And then they look at, there are several articles where which for which I have been a reviewer. And uh, they look at these articles and say, this is not new in the Western world. I get really upset when I hear that because you have to look at the context and see what they have achieved in that context. And maybe they should, they should get guidance on putting that into their article, the context in which they have made this educational innovation work. But that's why you see that in the Western journals, they are dominated by Western articles. So that's something that I really feel strongly about. And I'm associate editor on two journals now. And I hope to be able to address this issue and change it because I want to be a voice who, I mean, this is an underrepresented voice. You don't have this voice in the editorial board. So this is something, this is a cause that I believe in and that I will uh, work for in my position. Dr. Rashmi Kasuka. That's all for this episode. Next time I'll be talking to Meredith Young and her research into how problems get solved in health professions education and the assumptions that underpin what we think makes a good solution. Until then, goodbye. (laughs) 